when I think about generosity, I think about these two guys. And, and the, the first one, his name, uh, and, and both of these, well, the first one, his name is uh, Miguel. And he passed away um, a while back. And uh, he, was a, he was a wealthy lawyer in Puerto Rico. He owned uh, uh, some property, and he, um, and he was kind of your quintessential generous guy, right? He, he would give thousands of dollars to different Christian organizations, uh, and uh, sometimes he would go to a restaurant, and if he would see someone that he knew, he would just, you know, he would pay their, their meal without them knowing and then kind of walk away, right? And, and often when we think about generosity, we think about that kind of person, right? Um, they, they just have a lot of wealth, and they just kind of are not flaunting it, but they're very quick to just kind of give it away. But um, as I was preparing for this and thinking about this, I started thinking about a different type of generosity. And I was thinking about um, another man who I think has been probably one of the most exemplary examples of, uh, of generosity uh, <laughs> that uh, I can think of. And uh, his name is Oscar. And Oscar, um, when he was 13, he was homeless. And he lived in New York City, and he would sleep on, uh, on the subways. Um, by the time he was 14, uh, he had a daughter. By the time he was 15, he had two daughters. Um, Oscar didn't have anything to his name. He came from a, a, a small and uh, actually a large but very poor family, uh, farming family in Puerto Rico. And um, so living in New York City on his own with nothing, he, he joined a gang, uh, he committed crimes, he spent time in prison, uh, and eventually he became uh, a butcher in the army. He joined the army, he went to Vietnam, he, he was a butcher there, uh, which gave him some skills in cooking that uh, I will forever be grateful for. Um, but uh, he lived a life of difficulty and addiction and, um, and brokenness for a long, long time. Uh, addicted to drugs, uh, an alcoholic, um, and lived a very, very broken, very, very difficult life. Um, and then uh, something happened to Oscar. Uh, he met Jesus. And he became part of this community of believers that loved him, that embraced him, that accepted him. And, uh, and something changed and from that moment on that he received Christ, that he understood uh, who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him, there was this incredible shift that happened in his life. And uh, his life was marked by giving. And Oscar never had a lot. He, um, he, he still, even until the day he passed away, uh, he never owned a property of his own. Um, but everything that Oscar had he would share it with someone else. And, um, you know, he was always giving his time to the church, and he would, uh, we had a, a large building, and, and they would always need repairs of something, and Oscar would show up, and he would fix it. Um, and uh, he was a handyman. He was a contractor uh, by trade. And he was always giving away things. And, some, and, and uh, Oscar was married to uh, my mother-in-law. He was Marga's stepdad. And uh, sometimes they, they, they were able to rent this apartment, and the apartment came with a fridge and a stove, and so he gave away their fridge and their stove, and Bebe was like, what are you doing? Like, we need those, and he's like, nah, 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 we'll be fine. You know, we already have that in the, and, and, and she was like, ah, and uh, he would, uh, he would 
remodel houses. And so he would uh, go into these houses, and instead of just throwing everything away, he would save so much of what was in the house. And he would, you know, el repartía. He would, he would share it with, with everyone who had need. And so um, everything that Oscar would get, he would find a way of giving it away. He would find a way of sharing it. Uh, Oscar, um, he uh, had a, <laughs> he had a, uh, just a, a knack for picking up homeless people and driving them to rehab centers. And, uh, and sometimes multiple, like he would see the same guy and he would chase him down in his truck and be like, mira, hey, que pasó? Like, I took you to the rehab. No, no, es que Oscar, hermano. Es que, no, 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 métete. Get in the car. And he'd get him back in the car and he'd drive him back to the place and he'd drop him off and, and um, you know, and, and, you know, everybody knew Oscar. Um, he would show up at five in the morning to the baker's um, you know, and, and they would, <laughs> the, before the bakers were there, and you know, or 4.30 in the morning, whatever time it was, right? But I remember there were often times where Oscar would, uh, he would find a way to, how could I serve, uh, especially the widows in our church? And so if there was something that needed to get done in their, in their house, you know, he would show up. Or sometimes, like, he would bring, if he, had, if he was working on a job, if he was building a house or, or constructing somewhere, he would, uh, he would bring one of his employees that he was paying out of his own money to that house and then leave him there so that they, he, that person could paint or uh, fix the roof or do whatever. Uh, and he would pay for him out of his own earnings from, from that house, right? And, um, but one of the things that I remember most about Oscar is uh, he only knew how to cook for like 150 people, right? Because he was trained as an army cook, right? So at his house, los calderos eran así de grande. You know, he just had these pots and pans like literally this big. He would have to use the entire stove to like cook a thing of rice. And, uh, you know, like all four burners, right? And the thing was that Oscar like legitimately did not know how to cook for less than like 15 people. Like he would cook these huge amounts of food, and then neighbors would come by, and all of his children would come by, and uh, anybody who, the rule was, if you wanted food, and he was cooking, it was like Krispy Kreme, the red light was on, you stop by, and you could pick up food, you bring a Tupperware, and they would fill it, and then you could go, or you just bring the Tupperware, drop it off, and then take one of theirs, and then go off, right, and and everyone would, uh, this place was just like a hub for uh, for food and and for family, and Oscar loved to um, to cook. Uh, he would also go to um, youth detention centers, uh, and he would cook for the boys uh, in these uh, in these detention centers. And he would um, make a meal for them, and and just to remind them uh, that that someone cared about them, and that someone was thinking about them, and that someone knew their name, uh, and in um, kind of a place of where he we had kind of um, where he had uh, grown up from, and, and kind of been. The last thing I'll say about them is um, he, uh, before he passed away, he lived in this house in this gated community because his boss owned multiple houses in this. And so his boss was like, well, why don't you just live in one of our houses? And so he lived in like a $400,000 house, right, uh, that he didn't own. But he, and he paid, I don't know, he maybe paid like $400 of rent, you know, because his boss just was let him stay there, and, uh, and uh, Oscar would, every time there was a, a, a party or an activity, he would go take a plate of food or, uh, a, or a thing of coffee to the security guard who, it was a gated community who was out there, right, and, uh, and was just always remembering other people, and everything that he had, he was uh, sharing it with someone, 
And Oscar, uh, see, Oscar understood something at the core of who he was. He understood that he was a man who came from nothing, but that he had gained everything through his relationship with Christ. And that he had this deep understanding that he was an undeserved recipient of all of these uh, gifts and that he humbly had to live out his life in giving away what he had received because he knew deep down inside what I have and all that I am was given to me by Jesus. And so... uh, I often talk about uh, with our kids, with my kids, living life with open hands. And it's this idea of uh, we will sometimes hold on to things, that this is going to give me life, that this is what's going to support me, that this is what is I can trust in, that this is what's holding me up, right? Not really Bruce, but, you know, like, you know, you guys get the point, right? Right? We hold on to things really, really tightly, And what Jesus is asking us is, I have given you everything. So everything you have, instead of holding on to it with our kung fu death grip, right, is to live open-handed and to realize that everything I have has been placed there by Jesus, and so everything that I have can be shared. Because I am not living in scarcity, but I have enough because Jesus is enough. And that's, uh, that's a little scary. See, Oscar excelled in something called the grace of giving. Now, what is this grace of giving? Let's unpack this. Let's look at this a little bit deeper. Um, this is, uh, and I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 8. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verse 7. And, uh, and we'll read a couple of verses there. And um, what was going on at the time was that Paul had been, uh, is writing a letter to this church in Corinth, right? Uh, And and telling the church uh, and and speaking word to them and speaking life to them. And uh, and so he wrote them this letter while he is traveling around doing a mission trip. And, And basically what this is, is he would receive support from these churches to then be able to go out and do a, a, a ministry work or to do a mission trip or to go and serve uh, and spread the gospel, spread the gospel of Jesus, right? And so uh, he was talking about this one church in Macedonia that had given way beyond their means, but they had given spontaneously and joyfully, right? And so he was challenging the church in Corinth to, uh, to be this way, to give in this freely. And it says this, in uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, the word excel here means is to be exceptionally good at. Uh, proficient in an activity or subject, right? Uh, what are you really, really, really good at? Think about it for a second. What is something that you are really, really good at? Uh, we all have gifts and abilities. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know what necessarily you're really, really good at, which is really, really good at looking fly, right? Kim is really, really good at 
embracing people, like literally embracing them, like, you know? Uh, but we're all good at something. We're all, we all excel at something. And what Paul was challenging uh, this church, if, when I grow up, I want to be butch. I just want to say that. Like, I just, I just, I just have to say it, butch. Since that moment that Larry Mer- made me stare into your eyes for five consecutive minutes, I just, there's a place in my heart, there's a deep place in my heart for rice, and next to that is a place in my heart for butch, right? That's, that's what my heart, that's what fills my heart. Um, but this word excel also means abounding. Like, an abounding, it could also be translated for abounding, right? Um, and what that Greek word means, uh, or what abounding means, is exist, uh, existing in or providing a great or plentiful quantity or supply, right? Having excess, plentifulness, right? And he's saying to there um, is, since you excel, since you are abounding, since you have so much of this in everything, right? And then he describes some of the things that they excel in, right? As a church, they excelled in in faith, right? In their acceptance of Jesus as their Lord and Messiah and the understanding of, of his death and resurrection for them, right? They excelled in speech. It, it possibly was in, in speaking other tongues, uh, but it was also possibly in communicating this gospel, this faith that they had embraced and accepted, right? In knowledge, right? They excelled in knowledge and understanding of who God was and who Jesus was, and, and they excelled in earnestness, right? This sincere and intense conviction that they had to to, to do the work of the Lord, and they excelled in love, right? In the, and which is the most important attribute a church, I think, can, can um, excel in. Uh, and I would say that we excel in. And he says, and, and so the challenge that Paul is saying is, and I describe love as, as kindness and compassion and, 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 and um, um, I'm blanking on the word. It'll come to me halfway through the service. Anyways, we'll move on, right? And he says, you excel in all these things, church. And we excel in all of those things. We excel in our faith. We excel in our knowledge of Christ. We excel in our love for one another. And the challenge that he's throwing out is also excel in this grace of giving. And when he says the grace of giving, let me... Let me um, add a little, let me help us understand of what that means, is when we think about grace, right, we often think about, um, it's actually kind of this abstract word that we throw around a lot, but sometimes we don't really understand it. Grace, like as we understand it in Ephesians, uh, you know, chapter two or three, where it says, it is by grace that you have been saved, and this not from yourself, it is a gift from God through faith, so that no one can boast, right? It is a gift. It is this unmerited favor that we have received from God for salvation and for life, right? But grace is also used in many of the epistles as a gift, an unmerited gift of the ability or the power to carry out a, a, a task or a mission that you that we've been given from God. So it's so, uh, Mike, maybe this will help, right? So if we think about a power tool, right? If you got a drill or a saw, right? But it's not connected to a battery, right? It can't work. 
grace is that battery that you put into the drill that allows it to like have the power to function in the way that it was designed to function. Grace is that power that God has given to us that is not because we deserve it or earned it, is unmerited power, ability to do what God has called us intentionally to do, the mission that he has given us to do. And so he is saying, Paul was challenging this church, and what I'm challenging us to is, what if we, as a church, excelled as individuals, but as a community, what if we also excelled in the grace of giving? In this ability to give. And what would that require? See, Oscar uh, excelled at this. And it wasn't just an act that he did. It was, a, there was more than just like a one-time thing. Now, I'm not a very wealthy person, but my, my wife and I, by God's grace, has given us a lot, and we, are, um, we, are, we have enough. And uh, we are grateful for that. And, um, but I could never give, like, I could never stop and just say, like, if, if you know, if I wanted to, like, let me just give $100,000, right? I'm just going to give away $100,000. I don't have the capacity or the ability to do that. I just don't, right? Um, and so as an act of generosity, like, I, I, I couldn't give on that capacity, right? But I can live like Oscar lived in this way of, right? And sometimes when we think about generosity, it, like, puts us in, we put people in that category of being able to give on that capacity. But you know what? I actually stopped and started looking at the, the numbers. Because of the lifestyle that Marga and I live, in less than five years, we will have given, in the time that we've been married, we will have given over $100,000. Because it's not, it hasn't been this, um, this one act of giving. It has been a lifestyle of giving. And what I want to challenge us to is not just this act of momentarily giving, of a lifestyle, a behavior of giving. Dave Ramsey says that um, uh, money management is 10, 20% knowledge and 80% behavior. Well, where do our behaviors come from, right? Our behaviors come from somewhere. We don't just act. I work with kids, right, with teens. And oftentimes, we see the behavior of people, and we, you see a kid acting out in class, and you say, oh, this just is a kid that's a bad kid, or this kid just can't, this just has behavioral problems. Well, you know what? Oftentimes, uh, kids who are acting out in class is because they have a learning uh, disability or have not don't have the capacity, they have an IEP, where they, they struggle to learn in the same way uh, that a, another person does. And so because they can't understand things in the same way, they're frustrated and they become angry. And that acts out in, uh, in the way that they uh, behave. But it's not that they're just bad kids. Our behaviors come from somewhere, all right? So think of everybody, imagine, if you will, an iceberg, right? Dream, of, dream up of an iceberg, right? Don't close your eyes because you might fall asleep. But just just think in your mind of what an iceberg looks like, right? And uh, I'm from Puerto Rico, so I have zero concept of what an iceberg really looks like. So I had to Google it, right? Ask the almighty Google. Anyways, I should have put a picture up here, but I didn't. Um, 
But if you think about an iceberg, right, uh, you know, you, you see the top part of the iceberg, and that's what's above the water, and that's what's visible. But underneath an iceberg, under sub, submerged under the water, is an even larger structure uh, of what that iceberg really is. And, and our lives are, are like that also. What we see on the outside is only the reflection of what's really going on below the surface because our behaviors are determined by our thoughts, which is the layer right underneath that. Our thinking determines how we're going to behave, but our thinking is based off of our beliefs. What you believe about yourself and about your world is going to determine what you, how you think, and how you think is going to determine what you do and how you behave. And below what we believe is how we've gotten to those beliefs, and that is our experiences or needs that we have, that have not been met in our lives. For example, a friend of mine, um, she is incapable of saving money. She, we've talked about this various times. She just can't do it. She just has struggles. She can't save money, right? It's a behavior. Her thought is, is I can't save money, so I'm not going to try. And so she spends it as soon as she gets it, right? Her belief comes from she believes that she can't save money because uh, she believes deep down in her heart, I can't keep money around because she experienced growing up her mother was uh, an addict and so anytime that she had money laying around or saved up her mom would come into her room and steal her things because she was an addict and so her experience has shaped her belief about her world and about herself which has shaped her thoughts and her behavior Right? And Oscar, as, uh, as, a, as a teen living in New York, had experienced this life. And so there's no place where he should be this generous. There's no experience that he had that this should be a natural pouring out of his life. Except that somewhere deep down, there was a moment when Oscar came face to face with the living God. And that transformed his belief, which changed the way he thought and the way he acted and behaved. And so, you know, when, uh, what would it take for us to have a profound conviction um, in my heart that I am enough because Jesus is all that I really need and has given me everything and so, deep down inside, and that is really, really hard. It's really challenging. There are compartments that we have that some of our compartments, we can be uh, really easily turn over to Christ, but to allow him into all the layers, I think can be really challenging. Let me give you an example of what that could look like, right? I, I like to consider myself a generous person. I like giving away. Um, if I get money, I, I just, I love giving it to people, right? I love giving things. I love giving, right? Except for one little thing. I have a box in my dresser that's full of my secret stash, and that money is untouchable. Don't ask, Jesus, don't ask me for it because you ain't going to get it, right? And uh, I, if someone needs money, I'm like, yeah, what, Mario, let's give them $100, yeah. You know, Mario will be like, yeah, give them from your secret. Says, nah, maybe, you know, here's a dollar. 
Let's not get too hasty. You know, why? I don't know. I don't know why, but the secret stash is like my money that I buy like Nerf weaponry with. And, um, and, and my bike supplies. And like, you know, and I'll, I'll be like, babe, I really like this thing. Can we buy it? She's like, sure, from your secret stash. Eh, I don't like it so much. You know, it's not that cool. But this is what I used to like buy, like, you know, like my bike stuff. And I don't know, all this, like, it's the place that I have the ultimate control where I don't have to ask Marga for permission, or I don't, she, she doesn't have to agree that it's okay to get that, right? Because it's my precious, <laughs> right? But there's places in our heart that are also like this that, that where we hold on with our kung fu death grip because it's control, and because maybe it's unsafe to trust in Jesus in that space. And, and I... I speak as someone who also has these spaces, right? Not as someone who's figured it out, but someone who is allowing doors to be open to allow Jesus into all of these spaces. Because the reality is until we do that, um, then we're really never going to be enough. But when we know our identity and worth come from God, that my truest and most authentic self is not based on my sexual orientation or the amount of money that I earn or my culture or my political party or any of the other social structures that I can identify with as me, but that the truest, my most authentic self, my truest identity and worth come from Christ, then we are able to say, I have enough and we are able to be content with what we have and use our money to be as generous with others. Oscar had no earthly reason to give as he did, but there was his place in his heart was transformed. And that's what Jesus can do. Right? There's a, uh, um, Larry last week spoke of uh, an example of this uh, rich uh, young man who approached Jesus and, and challenged Jesus, what do I need to do to be saved? And, 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 and in their interaction, Jesus says, give away all that you have and come follow me. And the man walked away sad because he had a lot of wealth. And Jesus says, it's, it's, you know, it's easier for a camel to, to go through the eye of a needle than a rich, wealthy person to come to Christ. And, and the disciples were like, Jesus, it's impossible. And yet Jesus, yes, you're right, it's impossible. With man, this is impossible. But he said, with God, all things are possible. And then the next chapter, Jesus is walking through a town called Jericho. And there's a man in Jericho who is incredibly wealthy and, and, and had found a lot of his identity in his wealth. And he had a very high and prestigious and important job in the government and the system of that town. And when Jesus was walking by, he saw the man hiding up in a tree because this man wanted to see Jesus. And he looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down. And I must stay in your house. And the people started murmuring, and like, ah, oh, why is Jesus going to the house of the sinner? And Zacchaeus, hearing these things, he said, Jesus, here and now I am going to give away half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of their money, I will give them four times what they belong. And Jesus looks at him and says, this man too is a son of Abraham. He has included him in the body, included him in the family. And because this man saw that there was nothing that he possessed that was better or, or, or worth more than being able to accept Jesus into his home, he was 
gladly able to give away and, and, and spontaneously erupted in generously giving away. Look at the, in, the interesting position of these two men where one was identified by his money and his wealth and his power and his prestige and could not let that go. And this other who recognized that Jesus was worth it all and was willing to give it away because it was worthless compared to having Jesus. I pray that we could be that kind of church. That's the challenge that, that uh, Paul was giving to them. Is, is challenging them, can we excel in this grace of giving? And I think we can, because I've seen it in us. I've seen that generosity spring forth in us, in this church, in how we've loved each other, in how we've cared for each other. Imagine what our church could be if we embrace that fully and what kind of change we could do in our community. And, uh, and so Paul continues speaking to uh, the church, and um, he, he challenges them, and he says this, Remember this, whoever, spa- whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, there's, uh, oftentimes we'll say, well, karma's going to get you in the end, right? Okay. Um, karma is not a biblical principle, by the way, just in case we were confused. We like, but, but karma is an Eastern religion kind of idea, this concept that, that if you do something bad, at some point in a random world, the universe is going to come, come back and get you, right? Uh, but what Jesus teaches us is that there is a correlation to what you invest, you will return. And it's not a money investment, but it's what you invest in people and in ministry and in, in the world around you, what you invest in them, you will also reap from them. And so if you just sow, right, this is an agricultural like term and idea, right? If you sow, which is the, 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 the you know, throwing out seed that will be cultivated and, and, uh, and over time will grow and mature into a plant that could then be sustaining and life-giving, right? As you, if you sow just a little bit, I'm just going to throw a little bit of seed over here. Sprinkle that on there, right? If I just throw in a little bit, right, then you know what? You're going you're gonna to reap just a little bit. But if we open up and we sow generously, that the harvest that we will reap is going to be generous. Each of you should give Each of you should give what he has decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we give, um, when we are generous, our character is most demonstrating the character of God. When we are serving one another and giving towards one another, we are giving so much. Individuals who live generously imitate a dimension of God's life and character, and in doing so, experience dimensions of blessing that are only available when we are generous. There is a direct correlation of what we give to the blessings 
that we receive from the Lord. And I want to be very careful. I want to be very conscious to not give you the impression that as if we give, all of a sudden we're going to be this wealthy church. It's going to be great. We're all going to get cars. You're going to get a car. And you're going to get a car. And you're going to get a car. There are churches that preach that. And that is not biblically accurate. My sister one time complained, like, I've been super generous and I've been giving my tithe. How come I don't have enough money? I'm like, Sada, because you're giving away, you're living off of less money than if you would keep it. The point is not so that all of a sudden, you know, you know, uh, that we come back and we're, and Charlie's like, hey, I just, I gave $100 to the church and I got a check for $1,000. I'm giving away all my money, right? No. It's not that we would live in that kind of life of like thinking that, you know, that's, that's a wrong theology. But it is in our generosity that we would receive blessings from the Lord. Blessings in, in the form of peace. Blessings in the form of, of harmony and love. Blessings in the form of, uh, of, of supply. And farther down it says this, he who supplies, in verse 10, who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for the food, right? If you're sowing, it's, it's not only that you're giving away from what you have. He's like, he's saying, look, the one who supplies the seed, the very seed that you're giving away, God is the one that supplies that for you. And the bread for food, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Check this out. You will be enriched in every way. Not so that we can then hoard it and be wealthy, but so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Because the calling for us, church, the challenge for us, church, is not to just be one-time generous, but to live in that generosity, to make that part of who we are, and whether you're giving a little or you're giving a lot, that as we pour out of ourselves to each other, this devotion that we have to one another, to our community, God is going to give us everything that we need. So that in all situations, right, in every way, let me read it, so that in all things, at all times, some of the time, just when we're ready, all things, all the time, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Well, Scott was walking to the church one day. And he saw this, uh, this house that was right next to our church. Our church in Puerto Rico was in this little slum, this, this small barrio. And, um, and he saw this man and his family sitting in the dark uh, in their house. And he walked over and he's like, Mira, ¿qué pasó? Like, what are you doing? Why are you living in this you know, dark? And they're like, ah, and they, they turn off my lights and I, I don't have any way to connect to the electricity anymore. And, uh, and they were living in the, in this, they had the family and all these children and and uh, the next morning, Oscar showed up at their house at 6 a.m., brought all his tools, and hooked up this man's electricity to, uh, to the power line. <laughs> Oscar, like this guy, like, how does he, you know? 
And then he went down to the guy, and he's like, all right, I, you're connected. You have electricity. You need to go now, today, and go to the electrical company and let them know that you have power. You're not going to steal power. I set you up. Now you got to do what's right, right? So, like, it wasn't just like a handout, but he was helping the guy out, right? And um, he was just ready to go, right, because there was this overflow of generosity. Now, this is hard. This is really hard, guys. This is impossibly hard. And, and part of, I think, what we need to wrestle with is, do I trust Jesus enough for this? And do I trust the church enough for this? That as we pour out our generosity to the church, and as the church supports the ministries that we support and cares for the people within the church and cares for each other and helps each other out and, and pours out generosity towards all the little babies that are coming, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's clap that up, all right? Come on, babies. Ow! Parentheses. No matter what circumstance a baby is born into, a child is always a gift from God. Life comes from God. No matter what, how difficult or painful or broken the circumstances that that child is born into, life is always a gift from Jesus. Okay, parentheses over. Sorry, just <laughs> felt that out there, right? Um, but you know what? I get it that it's really hard. And, and actually, God gets this. But this is the one place in the Bible, the only place, all over the a place, all over the other Bible, is God is saying, don't test me, don't test me. You know, like, 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 don't test me, right? Um, and in the one place that the Bible reveals to us that God says, test me in this, is he says, bring your tithe, bring your whole tithe to, to the store, to the, to the temple, right? And he, in, in, um, in uh, Malachi, I always call it Malachi, because it's the Italian book of the Bible. In Malachi uh, 3, he says this, he says, test me in this and see that I will, if you bring the whole tithe, I will... F- Open wide the floodgates of heaven and bless you and fill your storehouses, right? Because it's an outpouring of what God has given to us. And when we have that, we're not afraid to give. I was at the Global Citizens Festival, which is this big festival that Mardi Gras drags me to. Sorry. It's also, it's a really important thing because it's like, it's like really social awareness and all the injustice in our world. So anyways, let me, let me not belittle this really, really cool thing. Uh, but there was a moment where we were there and, 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 you know, people didn't have water and we were, we had been standing in line for four hours and we were, and then we finally got in and we were sitting under the sun for like a, a thousand years and it was like super hot and like everyone was dry and I was like, ah, and there, there was a lit, there was a two hour line to get like to fill up your water bottle and I know it was two hours because I stood in it for two hours, you know, and uh, it was a mess and everyone was hungry and people were cranky and there was like, everyone was super, super thirsty. The sun was just bearing down on us. It was like end of August. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, we look over in the distance and someone is just chucking water bottles at the people. And everyone starts running over there and there's desperation because we need water and everyone, ah, right? And I, I'm like, I'm going to get water from my peoples. And so I run over there and I'm like trying to fight with this lady and I'm like, mm, you know, and getting water, right? Because there's desperation for this, right? And then some guy in this truck just, or like a easy go, whatever, he like rolls on by, and in the back of this thing, he has just cases and cases and cases of water bottles, 
And immediately, uh, the wrestling and shoving stopped, and everyone just kind of looked at him. What are you going to do with all that water? And he just grabbed cases, and he was just like, here, here, give these out. Here, give these out. And I grabbed the water, the whole thing, and instantly I went from, it's at the yeah, like, no, I have to get this water too. Like, who wants water? Yeah. And I'm like handing out water bottles, like in their free samples at Costco. I'm like, yeah, water, water. And I and I went from being this villain who's like desperate for my own to handing out water. Because all of a sudden I knew where my source was coming from. And I had enough. And so we're just handing it out. And, and this is the challenge for us is to live connected to the source of life. Test him in this. Church, if we could take this challenge that Paul sent to the Corinthians, excel in faith and you excel in, in knowledge and you excel in love, excel also in the gift, in the grace of giving. And uh, I invite us to step into that because it's kingdom economics is that as we are more generous to give away, God is more generous to give us more of what we need so that we can hoard it and have lots of stuff. No, so that we can continue in that generous spirit and giving away. Um, in the end of Oscar's life, he passed away a few years ago. Um, in a car accident, and um, at his funeral, um, there were all these people in, in his funeral, and, and it was a space about the size of this room, and it was packed. I mean, you couldn't get in the door. It was just wall-to-wall people just everywhere, and there were people from the church that he had painted their house or fixed the electricity or, or uh, fixed a hole in the roof, or uh, there were people that he had given washing machines to, and you know, uh, and uh, all the stoves, and there were people that, that knew him from when he was younger, and there were all these people in there. And I remember seeing in the back of the room um, the man who he had, uh, my uh, Bebe shared this with me, that she saw in the back of the room this man who had, uh, oh, Scott had turned the lights on for him. And he didn't have a car, he didn't have a way to get there, so he, him and his family, they put on their best clothes, and they walked to the church that uh, that the funeral was being hosted at. And in the back of the room, I saw a man in his security guard uniform. And he put his head down, and he just was like, man, Oscar always thought about me and would always bring me food and always bring me coffee because he had lived such a life that everything that he had, he was giving it away. What if we lived that way, church? What if we continued and got better at this, this grace of giving? If we are so devoted to each other, so devoted to our community, that Inwood would know that we're here. And they would know that we, because you can dispute whether God is real or not. People love doing that. You can dispute whether uh you know, all kinds of things about religion and faith. But one of the things that then no one ever disputed about Jesus was the works that he did. They could, they could say, well, he did it wrong because it was on the Sabbath and you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. But he missed the point that the person was healed, right? They could never 
um, dispute the action that he did. What if us as a church? People can challenge us and, and, and what we believe all day long, but they, what if they can't challenge the work that we're doing, the good that we're doing as a church, as we live out, each of us, in that uh, life of generosity? What if we could excel in that gift uh, that God has given us?